Let's start with prayer. You can bow your heads with me. Dear Jesus, come into this church today and be with us. Let your spirit lead and guide us to hear your message. And thank you for everyone here and all the blessings that they bring with them. We love you so much. Amen. I just want to say, I am proud of myself. I was born an Adventist. I've been an Adventist my entire life. Every week I'm in church. And there are four generations of Adventists in my family. It is in my blood. I was raised in Adventist schools, for elementary at least. And I was always involved in church. I have done VBS, Pathfinders, youth, you name it, I've done it. Church was always my life. And it is part of who I am. And that so much so that I am on my way to becoming a pastor. And I have lived a good life. I've avoided drugs and alcohol. I don't have any piercings or tattoos. I dress modestly and I have natural colored hair. Now. <laughs> I have reasons to put confidence in my flesh, in my own actions. I have lived faultlessly up to the Adventist standard. Well, almost. I like coffee. <laughs> there was a man in the Bible who can say that he is completely faultless and lived life completely up to the law. And his name is Paul. So let's open our Bibles up to Philippians chapter 3. And let's hear what he has to say about this topic. For now, we're going to start in verse 4. And he says, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul lived a perfect life according to the law. He was a member of the church. He knew the Torah and the law, and he was born into the right family and was raised in the right way. According to the law, he was faultless. But the text does not stop there. And he continues and says in verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. 
Some versions here, they'll use rubbish instead of garbage. So if we go back to the Greek, to the meaning of what rubbish or garbage means, you get the word skybalon, which means dung, poop, human or animal feces. But this word is also used in order as a general or symbolic way to describe something that is useless, rejected, or despised. So when Paul calls all of the accomplishments that he has earned before Christ rubbish or skybalon, he is calling it a load of poop. And so he is speaking to the people of the day, people who thought that you were a good person if you kept the law perfectly, if you were born into the right family, if you were born the right gender, then you were perfect. You'd have Pharisees that would sit in front of the temple and they would say, I'm so glad I am not a sinner like that person over there. Or I'm so glad I was born a man and not a woman. Because these things are what created your righteousness. If you had the text memorized, if you lived according to the Jewish law. And that took place of a relationship with Christ. You were righteous because of the acts of your flesh instead of your relationship with Jesus. An illustration of this could be Peter when he walked on water. If Jesus called to him and said, Peter, come to me. And Peter said, okay, one second. And he does a nosedive into the, into the lake in the middle of a storm and tries to swim to Jesus. He wouldn't have made it because the storm and the waves were too strong. And it wouldn't not have been a miracle. But because he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on water. So if we go back up to verse 2 in the same chapter, Paul tells us what he thinks of those people who try to find righteousness from the flesh. He says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. These are the choice words he uses. And I want to look at mutilators of the flesh and what that means. Because back then there was this custom to do circumcision, which is where they would take off a part of a male's reproductive system and give it to God in a way. And so originally circumcision was a covenant between Abraham and God. God was saying, I'm going to give what is most important to me, to you guys. And I want you to give back part of what is important to you. And so that was the original meaning. But in this day and age, the Jews twisted it a little bit. And it became a sign of whether or not you were a part of the right group. If you were circumcised as a child, then that showed that your parents raised you right as a good Jewish person. 
So now you have Christ coming in and saying, all can be saved, even Gentiles. And there's this argument of whether or not Gentiles had to be circumcised, whether or not circumcision was still needed, even though God's side of the covenant was fulfilled. So to them, living according to the law and, taking, and doing these physical things was more important than the life of Christ. Because these earthly things are what saved you. But then Paul continues and uses the same phrase in a new way. And he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirits, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. We who are the circumcision. It is no longer just an act or an, a characteristic of the flesh. It is part of who we are. We are that covenant between God and man. We are that relationship. Is there something today that we possibly might use in the same way? And it becomes a characteristic of us instead of a who we are. Something that maybe we say, oh, we did it, so we're good, and we can just leave it there, and we can continue living our life and not worry about it and not act upon it. Maybe it could be baptism, where we did it and then we're done. But it's a life of coming who we are. I am a baptized member of God's church. And we need to keep our eyes on him so that we may walk on water. And we may survive the fires of the furnace. And we may be able to get through these hard times that we may face in life. So, to really understand this text, we would need to look at the whole book to get the context. And if you go through and you read Philippians, you find that it is a book of joy and thanksgiving. It is a book that says joy and, right, and rejoice 16 times in four chapters. That is the theme of the book, and it is what it is about. It's the same book that we get texts such as rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So you would believe that Paul wrote this book at the height of his life when he was going through amazing things and ministry was being done and everything was wonderful and beautiful. But that's not the case. He didn't write it when everything was great. He wrote this letter when, every, when he was at rock bottom. Paul wrote this book, this letter from prison. And not just any prison, but the lowest of lows of prison. He knew that when he went there, that's the last thing he was going to see. It was in a dark, cold, dry hole in the ground. And out of this depressing and sad moments, he comes up with this book full of joy and happiness. So how is that possible? I want you to imagine the worst moment that you have felt. 
Maybe it was when a friend betrayed you or when a spouse hurt you or you couldn't make ends meet with money or whatever your darkest moment was. And then you come out of it writing a book of joy and rejoicing in God. For me, I know that would be very hard. But Paul found the secrets of how to be joyful in all circumstances. No matter what was going on around, he still had that joy within. So what is this secret? How can we do that when we live in such a time that is hard and scary and we don't know what's going to happen? Well, in this chapter, he shares the secret with us. If we look at verse 9, back to where we were, it says, That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that is which, faith, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith in Christ is a powerful thing. To have faith that you know he loves you unconditionally. To have the faith to know that when you're going through hard times, he is there for you. And he is in those hard times with you. That's what helps us get through these struggles and these problems of this world. Because there will be problems. And there will be money issues. And people will be mean to us. But we have this assurance and this faith in Christ that helps us fly above those problems and get through them. To trust that he will take care of you. My very first day here, I fell in love with this church almost instantly. But there was one person that I met that stood out to me. Because when he comes walking up to me, before even saying his name, he says, do you believe in justification by faith? I see y'all looking back, yes. <laughs> and so, yes, Bob comes up to me, and it's the first thing he says. And I get all nervous because I'm all, like, scared my first day. And I'm like, yes, wait, no, wait, maybe? <laughs> And so then I thought about what he said, and once I figured out what he was asking, <laughs> I was very impressed by his question. And that, yes, so guess, Bob, I do believe in justification by faith. Faith in Christ Jesus. Because that is how we need to live our lives, and how we get that justification through Christ. And the gift that he has given us. And to live a happy life. There once was a young girl. And she wanted to understand happiness and joy. So she goes up to her grandma and she asks her grandma, Grandma, when are you the most happiest? And grandma smiles and says, I am the happiest when I am working in my garden and pulling flowers and planting new ones, that is when I am the happiest. 
And the, the little girl just smiles and says, okay, and she keeps walking. And she runs into her mom. And she asks her mom, mommy, when are you the most happiest? Mom just smiles and says, I'm happiest when I'm with family, around those who love me, and I love them. Little girl just smiles, okay, and she keeps walking. And she comes to her dad, and, and she asks him, Daddy, when are you the most happiest? And he smiles and says, when I am with you, I am the most happiest. And then he asks her, sweetie, when are you the most happiest? And she says, I am the most happiest when I am alive. And he puts his hands on her bald head and holds her close and remembers the past several months of her fighting cancer. And she had found her source of happiness in that dark and hard times because she was happy to be alive in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of joy that Christ wants for us. The joy that lasts through all circumstances. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It surpasses all understanding. And this is the righteousness of Christ is a promise that our sins are forgiven by Christ. And we are reconciled with God because we are born into a sinful world that has problems and tribulations. And there is no way at all to get to that joy and that happiness that he wants for us on our own accord, through our own actions. It is said in one word, salvation by God's grace. By the grace of God, we are saved. And by the grace of God, we can be a part of a church that loves him as well. And by the grace of God, we can live a good life. So how does this look in our lives today? We look at the next verse, jump down to verse 12, and he, Paul explains this, saying, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting all those things that you thought made you righteous and you thought you could rely on for joy and happiness in this life and focusing on Jesus, focusing on heaven and where we are to go. There's this great song that has come out recently, and it keeps coming up on my Pandora, and I love it so much. It's the song Joy by King and Country. And in the, towards the end, it says, Though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of night. Oh, with you by my side, I am stepping into the light. I choose joy. By living a life walking with Christ and those hard times where they seem dark and helpless, it becomes joy and light because you know and you have that faith that you are loved completely and fully by a God, by a Savior. And you have faith that he is there with you, holding your hand, and he will help you through those times. They're still going to hurt. They're still going to be hard. But you have that assurance and that joy to carry you through it. And he will guide us to things that will be healthy for us. And it will bring us more joy. Such as a church and a community that also walks with Christ and listens to his word. And he calls us to be involved in an active part of that community in areas that will bring us joy. And he calls us to take care of our bodies and to only do to it what brings glory to him because it is his temple. We all have some reasons to put confidence in ourselves and in our flesh and in our abilities. But the only one that actually matters is when we put confidence in only Christ Jesus. And in only him we can boast and say that I have this God and he is wonderful and amazing and he is truly perfect and he is my friends and I am walking with him. I can only boast in him. Even though I am not perfect, even though I have no reason to be proud of myself, he lets me walk with him. And my joy is based on him alone. And I will rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice.